few specific things I'd like to lift up in prayer. I know that Scott just prayed, but I would like for us to um, pray for some specifics before we climb into the Word together. Let's pray. Lord, this morning we want to lift up another family that's in the far corners of the field. I want to pray for Lance and Sarah Keeling um, down on the southern tip of Mexico. Lord, we pray for their, first of all, their worship. I pray that they are being fed and nourished as Lance is preparing each week to feed your people there. I pray that he and Sarah are getting sort of a first helping and first serving of truth and that they are being fueled by worship as they, first of all, do life as husband and wife. Lord, I pray that you would, um, any daily struggles that they may work through, that the same types of things that we work through here as husband and wife, I pray that you would give them the goods. And I pray that they would see that in reality they already have the goods and that they would draw on those resources, on those truths, that they would stay in step with the Holy Spirit as they walk together as husband and wife putting the gospel on display in Teopisca. Lord, I pray that the row of kids behind them that are being raised in their home, that they would see what the gospel looks like because they're enjoying you out loud. I pray too as they work through just the daily struggles, that they're working through those struggles out loud and those kids will see the wonderful counselor, wonderful God that we serve, that we worship, that we walk with and how involved and engaged you are and even the the small details of life. Lord, we pray for the church there in Teopisco. We pray for a, um, an aroma. We pray for a saltiness, a health. Lord, we do pray with Lance for growth. We pray that that growth will be uh, muscle and not fluff, but real health, real tangible growth that begets more growth, real disciples that are made. And Lord, we do pray along with Lance for men to come to faith in Christ and Teopisca. For men to be freed from slavery to alcoholism, slavery to laziness, and that they would be rescued from that and that you would make them faithful. That you would draw them to you and that they would first be discipled and then disciple others along with Lance. Lord, a few specifics also we want to pray for this morning, uh, some of our church family that are going through different things. We want to pray for Christian Haas and for uh, her recovery. Having had a pretty significant surgery this week, we first of all thank you for sustaining her through that procedure and for giving the doctors wisdom and care as they operated. Lord, I pray with Christian, I pray with others that are familiar with their circumstances. I pray that Robert's heart may be won through the faithfulness of his wife. I pray that Robert, as he has a front row seat to what it looks like to trust you and to walk with you, that you would draw him to yourself thankful for this trial, and we look forward to what you're going to do through it. Lord, we pray also for Zachariah Way Casey, a little, tiny little boy, and for his family, for Cody and Gwen, just pray for a deep trust as he goes through a procedure soon. I just pray that you would watch over his body, 
give the doctors care and wisdom, and that you would preserve him and uh, heal him. Pray also, continue to pray for Amelia. I'm just so thankful for amazing, amazing medical technology that has sustained her. And as we thank you for that, we thank you more so that ultimately you have sustained her with every breath and every heartbeat. I pray that you would continue with that. Pray specifically that you would guard her from aspirating, that a vocal cord would get healthy and innervated and would help protect her from choking. Or two, this week we pray for Sheila Avance as she goes through a, a knee surgery. I just pray that you would watch over her and give the doctors care as they uh, take care of her knees. Lord, I pray that how we spend the next few minutes will bring glory to you. Thankful for this awesome Bible that is so full of these life-altering, life-giving truths. Lord, I'm thankful this message this morning is no fluff, no tricks, no smoke, no mirrors, just potent truth. Pray that it would condition us and equip us today for worship in this season. Thankful in advance. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Turn to Philippians chapter 2, please. Give you a little bit of a context to where we're going this morning. We started Advent last week. Advent is really the month of December that's dedicated to enjoying the first um, um, arrival or the first visit from God and then anticipating the second return or the second visit, which would be Christ's return. Um, So it's a combination of celebration of his previous visit and anticipation of his future visit. So this month, over the course of the month, the sermons that we will engage, we'll do some of each. Some may lean more in one direction or another. Um, But this morning, we're really going to do sort of a part two of the condescension. Last week, we considered the condescension of Christ. When you hear that word condescension, that word is often associated with a negative sense where someone's being condescending, acting in a way that's looking down on you or treating you like you're lesser than. That's not the way this word is used this morning, nor was it last week. The condescension of Christ or the condescension of, the, of God the Son has to do with God coming down to deal with our problem. And it's a really awesome thing to consider. Last week, I, would, I was thinking back, back this morning, I think last week's sermon probably would sort of minister maybe especially to the artist and the musician. Last week, we sort of walked through uh, what may have been days or weeks of the ministry of Christ in chapters 9 and 10 of Mark, where he's ministering to the unlikely, and he's serving in a way and has a message that is contrary. He's serving in a way that's something you wouldn't expect for a king, and he's demonstrating characteristics of a God and a king that are surprising and sort of a reversal of what someone might expect. He came also bringing good news that was not so much good news about how those people could get saved, but good news that a king had come and a kingdom had come. And this king was an altogether different sort of king, a king that gives time to nameless children, a king that helps a weak faith father A king that calls in his royal court 
very unlikely and uber common people like fishermen and tax collectors. A king who ironically calls men who would argue about who's the tallest while they walk with a true sequoia and a true redwood. And we ended the morning last week with a wonderful picture of the type of king is one that would come and have time for a beggar who's blind, that he would give time and attention to someone that our context and likely their context just sort of pushed to the margins and the edges. That's the kind of king that we have, and that's how far he condescended. Last week, we sort of looked what I would say more as a, um, would more scratch the itch of the artist or the musician, because we're taking in the sights and the sounds and the um, feeling of the distance of his condescension. This week is going to be more for the engineer. We're going to look at the mechanics of the condescension. The first part of the morning this morning is going to look at what actually took place when God condescended, God the Son condescended to the earth. We're going to look at those mechanics of what took place in the first part of the sermon. And the second part of the sermon is going to be very, very application-oriented. All of it's going to come from Philippians chapter 2. So let's begin in chapter 2, starting in verse 6. I'm going to read chapter 2, verses 6 through 8. We're going to consider a few things in that passage, and then we're going to move backwards to look at verses 1 through 5. Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 6. I'm going to borrow the subject from the previous verse, which is Christ Jesus, just so you know know who we're talking about as we start verse 6. Christ Jesus is in the, the verse before. The subject, Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is some of the, if not the strongest language in our Bibles on the deity of Jesus. As we considered last week in these two chapters in Mark, this is a very appropriate place for us to prepare our hearts for worship of the king who has come and will return as we consider that together this morning. I want to sort of unpack the the luggage or the baggage in this passage, starting with Jesus was in the form of God. Remember, we borrowed that subject from the previous verse. Christ Jesus was in the form of God. This word form, really what it means there, it's something that we might not use in this type of context very often. What this word means is that which characterizes a given reality. The way this could read is having the characteristics of God because he's God, he did not count equality with, a thing, with God a thing to be grasped. Having the characteristics of God because he's God, that's what it means to be in the form of God. There are two very important things that come out of just that phrase, he was in the form of God. First, there's preexistence. He was in the form of God. Where he's going in those coming passages is dealing with what happened when he came down and condescended, but he was previously, before he condescended, already in the form of God. What's being implied there is preexistence. 
some passages that might be familiar to you, having spent as much time as we have as a church in the book of John, speak to this. You don't have to turn there. Just listen. They'll be familiar. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Pre-existence. There was never a time when he was not. When he showed up in Bethlehem, this passage here in chapter 1 says, the Word became flesh and dwelled among us, and we've seen his glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John chapter 1, verses 1 and 14 14, speak to this reality of his pre-existence. There was never a time when he was not. The second thing that little phrase points to, in addition to pre-existence, is his deity. Though it's such a small phrase and it's easy to read over and read real fast through, he was in the form of God. Paul is developing that Christ, before he condescended, was the pinnacle of existence. In the year 325 AD, a council met, the Council of Nicaea, and they developed a creed. This is called the Nicene Creed, and it's got some ancient language in it, but the ancient language here is so appropriate for what's being said here, that Jesus was very God of very God. Anybody ever heard that before? It's sort of, you may ask the question, what does that mean? Exactly, you could sit and ponder that and consider what is actually being said there for ages. We will for eternity. Very God of very God. Here's some other passages that speak to this deity of Jesus. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, this is familiar to us. He's the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Colossians 1:15, he's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Here's a really strong, potent one. Colossians chapter 2, verse 9. For in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. He's not a copy of God. He is God. And there was never a time when he was not. Man, let's take that in. Yesterday, Christy had Christmas music playing on our little iPod pod player what is it ipad I, I get them all mixed up the little thing that came out first that plays music this thing's playing christian music or christian you know uh, christmas songs there and it was going all day which is cool i mean it's the right time of year for that we enjoy we're enjoying that and yesterday evening i went over to turn it off and just as i walked up to turn it off silent night was playing it's these three guys that are i can't remember what they're they're an el devo or something like that these three guys that are Italian, that are amazing, and they're singing Silent Night. And the, the, the actual line that was being sung as I turned it off was, Jesus, Lord, at thy birth. Oh, man, I've been singing that my whole life, my whole life, and there it is. That hymn writers are connecting to this passage. He didn't become Lord when he was born. He already was. Jesus, Lord, at thy birth. Yet. Paul is making a contrast here that is massive. What Paul has developed in that little phrase is the preexistence and the deity of Jesus as very God of very God, and it's very different than what you would expect if you really take that in, what unfolds in these next few verses. Yet, he didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped. What that phrase means is that he didn't 
regard his equality with God as something he ought to exploit. That word grasp there is a word that connects to language having to do with thievery. It means to snatch or to grab or to seize. But in context, it's not talking about thievery. It's talking about Jesus, especially and specifically, did not consider his godness a matter of seizing upon to his own advantage. Though he's fully God, it was not something that he exploited. Instead, that next word, but instead, Christ Jesus made himself nothing. He emptied himself and spent himself. Though he was very God of very God, he did not hold too tightly to that. I racked my brain this week for an illustration of this. I went to the internet and I'm Google searching all every different search thing that I could think of for an illustration of this. Someone having responsibility, ability, and power, and the means to act in a situation to protect their own best interests, but not doing it. I was looking for examples. I wanted to have this really sweet emotional story, and I'm thinking, man, how cool would it be If there was a beautiful illustration of someone who had the power and the ability and the means to act in a situation to protect their own self-interest and not do it, and I realized that's an illustration in and of itself that I couldn't find an illustration. It shows us that it's rare. It's rare. Man, it stands out as beautiful that very God of very God did not act in a way that his power could have acted. His ability could have acted, but he didn't. Instead, he emptied himself. Verses 7 and 8 show us how he emptied himself three ways. First, by taking the form of a servant. Though very God of very God, worthy of heaven, worthy of heaven and earth, bowing. And saying over and over again, as the scriptures say, that, they, that, that the, the seraphim and I forget what the other fem are called, the seraphim and I'm drawing a blank, say over and over again, day and night, they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is, is to come. Jesus is worthy of hearing that all day long in his ears, yet instead he emptied himself by serving. By serving passage we read last week. The second way he emptied himself was by being in human likeness, by being in human likeness. What you think of humanity is going to temper how you perceive that. If you think humanity is not all that bad, then you're not going to receive what's actually being said there. If you've led a charmed life and haven't seen or experienced the worst of humankind, And if you don't watch the news or read the news, then you might believe that humankind is pretty special. A few weeks ago, I saw a billboard in the news. The atheists are putting these billboards up all over the country, working really hard to get their message out. And I saw this billboard that has a picture of a lady standing there and sort of a, not a thought bubble, but a quote from this woman that said, I believe in humanity not God. And I thought, man, how's that working out for you? 
I found another one that said, humankind equals humans and kindness. No God's required. And I thought to myself, do you read the news? Do you know anybody that's ever been on the receiving end of the worst that humankind has to offer? Have you led a charmed life? Have you lived in a hole? You know, it's not just the graphic, ugly things that you can imagine. But I'm going to tell you right now, me on my best day, if, if, if I am the standard, just imagine for a moment, if I am the standard that Jesus has to stoop to, to humankind, Christy will attest, my children will attest, Brad will attest, Scott will attest, those Scott, Jeff Ott can attest, people that know me can attest that he stooped mighty low, just becoming human. How did he empty himself? He came as a servant, and he came as a human. And third, he humbled himself through obedience unto death. The ultimate humility to go from the Father's right hand to a humble manger among poor folk to a lowly people to live what we would probably call a pretty short life, 33 years or so, 90% of that life being in total obscurity with only three years of that being a public ministry and to humbly step out into a short ministry that led him eventually before pompous Pharisees, Sanhedrin, and Sadducees. Pompous to be judged by them and then to be judged by a pagan ruler, Pilate. Man, what humility. And then eventually to go to a cross nailed between two thieves. Then after six grueling hours filled with jeers and insults, to surrender his life and to rest then in a borrowed tomb. Man, the mechanics of his condescension, him emptying himself, he took the form of a servant. He didn't just put his power aside. He took the form of a servant. Being in hum- And he became human, took on human likeness. And he humbled himself through obedience unto death. shared this a few weeks ago that I anticipated this being sort of an awe series sermon. I hope that just for a moment right now that you're awestruck. It's Advent. We're enjoying his first visit, looking forward to his return. But I hope for a moment you're awestruck that he would do what he did, those mechanics that they would blow us away, that they would change really how we read our Bibles, that maybe instead of, I thought about this few years ago, as thinking about the condescension of Christ, instead of being awestruck that he walked on the water, that's pretty awesome. I've never seen that before. I bet that's pretty amazing. Maybe we should be more awestruck that God got in the boat. Maybe being more awestruck that he changed water to wine, maybe we should be awestruck that God showed up to a, to a person's wedding in the flesh, and that he served him when he was there by providing something they ran out of. Man, it'll change the way you read your Bible when you really take in the condescension. And that awe that you have of the condescension of what God did for us in sending the Son, it should do something to you. If you're awestruck, it should leave you 
with something. It should leave you doing something. Look back at Philippians 2, beginning in verse 1. This is an interesting passage, chapters, chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. It's sort of an if-then argument that's backwards. This is the then of the if-then argument. We just considered the if. We're putting it in an order that Western minds can understand. We've started with the if first, if he emptied himself, if being fully God, very God of very God, he emptied himself in this way, then this is how it ought to hit us. I told you the second part of the sermon was going to be very application-oriented. Here it is, beginning in verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Let's unpack this one just a little bit. If there's any encouragement in Christ, what's implied there is that there is massive encouragement in Christ. There is huge encouragement in Christ. In some ways, Paul is asking and saying, if you're awestruck with Christ, then three things that emerge from this passage, that are three little passages that all sort of connect to what he's saying here, three phrases then be of the same mind in verse 2. He says it again in the same verse. Be of one mind. And then in verse 5, have this mind among yourselves. If you're awestruck by what Christ did, then we're going to put it in one phrase, have the mind of Christ. If you're awestruck, if there's any encouragement in Christ, then have the mind of Christ. This reference, three references here to mind, implies that this is a conscious awareness. It's something that actually should be on your mind. I like that. I'm helpful. It's helpful for me because it implies that it may not be a feeling. I got to confess to you, some of the things we're going to look at here in these next few minutes don't come naturally to me. If I'm driven by a feeling, they're things that I won't do. I can tell you that because I am severely inconvenienced when somebody needs something from me. Ask my wife. The natural bend, I'm inconvenienced if I'm just going by what I feel. But what he says here, this is a mindset. This is a mind issue. It's a conscious awareness that says, no, because of what Christ has done, because of who he is, because of how he condescended, then I will do some of the things we're going to consider in these next few minutes. Paul is encouraging them not to have the same sort of thinking in the terms of cogitation, where you like thinking process. He doesn't want a bunch of clones that are processing life exactly the same way and making the same exact decisions. What is he is encouraging in them is that they have a similar mindset, that they have a similar mindset toward life and values and people. He is encouraging them to have the same way of looking at things, not saying be clones, but rather he's saying, you should have the same mind among yourselves. Be of one mind. Have this mind among yourselves. 
That all that you do as in you, when you're doing life should be conditioned by how Christ lived. So there's going to be similarities. There's going to be a oneness in how you view and move through life. Have the same mindset in the Lord. And Paul isn't just saying have the same mindset with each other, a oneness between each other. He's also encouraging have the same mindset with the king. Not just have the same mindset as your neighbor or your family member or the person that you see to your right or your left, but have the same mindset that the king had. Be mindful of what he did and have his mindset. Though equal with God, he didn't take advantage of that. He didn't exploit that, but instead he made himself nothing and he condescended into our mess. I'm going to read a little passage from John that I thought beautifully illustrated this, beautifully illustrates the point that Paul is making here as Jesus makes the same point. Sit back and listen to this passage. Now before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, very God of very God, that he had come from God and was going back to God, though he was in the form of God, he rose from supper and he laid aside his outer garments. Taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. He poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, what I'm doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, if, you do not, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who's bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Beautiful, beautiful picture of what's being said over here in Philippians chapter 2. Serve like Christ did. If very God can if very God of very God can wash disciples' dirty old feet, then we can stoop and do the same. And here's what it'll look like. In verses three and four, do nothing from rivalry or conceit. That's what comes natural. 
You see families ravaged by this. You see businesses ravaged by this. And unfortunately, you see churches ravaged by this. Rivalry and conceit. And Paul's making the point here, don't go there. If very God of very God can empty himself and make himself nothing, then man, there's no room for selfish ambition. No room for fighting for who's first and best, but rather in humility count others more important than yourselves. And third, look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. I'm thankful for this passage because it implies that it's not sinful to tend to your own interests. Look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. If we're to connect to this, the condescension of Christ, if we're to really enjoy what he did for us, the mechanics of it, the very God of very God made himself nothing, then it must have a tell. And it shows up, it must, in how we treat one another. If we have the condescension of Christ in view, if we've truly apprehended what's taking place there, we won't vie for first or vie for recognition. We will count others more important than we are, however we may feel. We will consider others' needs as more important than ours, and we'll look to others' interests as well as our own. This week, I've been surrounded by stark examples of people counting others as more important than themselves. I have a weekly front row seat to that, my wife. Man, most beautiful picture that I know of. Another example that I saw this week, I see that all the time, but an example I saw this week is one of our church family members, um, Christian Hass, you know, had brain surgery, had a tumor removed. One of the heartbreaks of seeing a family that's not in a small group. For different reasons, Christian is not in one of our small groups right now, Christian and Danielle. And we saw one of the heartbreaking consequences there when a family is going through a significant crisis, they don't have a small group surrounding them to rally around them to minister to them. I sent out an email to our small group shepherds and said, hey, can anybody adopt Christian and her family right now? Can any small group take them? And immediately responses from a couple different small groups says, hey, we got them. And there's other responses that I know about that weren't even email responses where other small groups have ministered to this family. Seeing yet another example of people considering others' needs is more important than themselves. We've had a front row seat to this this week. A good friend, member of our church, in fact, Clay and Corey, invited Christy and I over for dinner this week and fed us turducken. That's a ministry in and of itself. You should know that. Turducken is the best creation, the best animal that God ever made. It's actually not one animal. It's a combination of three. You can guess what's in there, turkey, duck, and chicken. And it's um, stuffed with Cajun stuffing. It's just a ministry. Just know that to be fed that is a ministry of itself. But this was on the night where it was really icy, Friday night. And Clay called us and he said, hey, um, I want to just kind of guide you guys into the house. 
because there's lots of trees that are hanging down over the road with ice and don't want you to scrape your car up. Don't you want to go, don't want you to go in a ditch. So Clay met us in Caddo Mills. And the whole time he's driving us, the whole time he's leading us back to his house, I'm thinking to myself, man, I would have been thinking, golly, man, we're feeding you. We got to come find you too. We got to guide you to our house. But then there's Clay considering others more important than themselves. Clay and Corey both feeding us, first of all, blessing us with a wonderful meal and then guiding us to their home. Another example, Christy and I had to run out yesterday afternoon for some errands and we got back and had a yard full of elves, deacons really, and deacons and a couple other guys that are out there cutting our trees up that fell in our front yard. I mean, we didn't express the need they identified the need and jumped on it before we even had a chance to. After cutting those trees up, I'm thinking, there you go again. People considering others more important than themselves. There been so many other examples this week. Salvation Army experiences, emails that you've likely seen or heard about where we're taking care of, different people are taking care of the homeless and tending to them, in especially cold few days, where the pregnant are constantly cared for, those that are pregnant and may be trying to figure out what they're going to do with their baby. Another example we had this week, personal example, I was up here studying and uh, it was late afternoon, so nobody else was here. Our Scott, I think, had run, gone out to run an errand, so I was just at the building by myself and I leave that front door locked when I'm there by myself, just not knowing who might come in and they might go through kids' classrooms or stuff like that. So it's not an access issue because they rang the doorbell and I went and answered the door. There's a guy named Randy guy named Randy, just the neatest guy, said, hey, um, I came in a year or two ago and talked with you. And I said, no, it wasn't me. It was, he said, well, I talked with a pastor and we figured out that it was likely Scott that he talked with. He didn't need anything other than prayer. His marriage was on the rocks. His wife had been using some drugs. Turns out it was prescription drugs. He thought it was other kind of drugs. But turns out it was prescription drugs. And something that Scott told him left him so encouraged and hopeful that God can redeem this marriage. And here they are a year or two later, I can't remember. We couldn't figure out exactly when he visited. They're still married and they're doing well. And the guy's starting his own business detailing cars. And he came by just asking for some help with one little expense, $74.39, so he could take a test that he needed to take. And I was thankful, first of all, for a dude that took the time took the time to consider others are more important than themselves, to have a quality engagement with a guy that just knocked on our front door. And then I thought, man, how sweet it is for us as a church to be able to consider others as more important than ourselves as Aaron Adele was able to pull out $74.39 and hand it to him. Man, it was beautiful. It's beautiful. Examples all around us, meals being provided for the sick or the hospitalized, people having a conversation about who might have some financial needs at Christmas time here in our body, and surrounded with one example after another this week, people considering others as more important than themselves and condescending into somebody's need, not being condescending, condescending into someone's need going down into a need that they may not have to help them with their problem. And I thought, man, what a beautiful, wonderful, condescending people 
That could be taken way out of context. Just know that. It's, you understand the context. What a beautiful, condescending, aromatic, attentive people. There's certain things that put the gospel on display. Uh, preaching week by week. When someone talks about sharing the gospel, you may think about a conversation that you may have where you're asking questions like, you know, do you know what will happen if you were to die? Do you have a, a sense of what would happen to your soul? You talk through the, maybe the Roman road with them or the faith outline, help them understand how to follow Christ. Those are examples of sharing the gospel. A revival might be a sort of a corporate example. Churches have revivals where they preach, you know, a gospel message for a series of nights and invite those who don't know Christ to come. I want to tell you right now, one of the most beautiful demonstrations of the gospel, one of the most awesome, loud, but sort of steady and silent communication of the gospel is a church that's ministering to those around them that have needs, those within them and those around them that have needs, that are considering others that are more important than themselves. A church that's condescending into those sort of needs is putting on display the condescension of our God. Man, it's gospel proclaiming in a way that, man, it's potent. People see and hear, what, what is this people doing? I've never seen or heard anything like this. They're getting a glimpse of the condescension of Christ. It's a beautiful thing. We're going to have our supper together. I want to share a passage with you from 2 Corinthians chapter 8. If you'd like to turn there. It's one that really nicely summarizes this message this morning. Paul's writing here to a different church. It's just so concise. Something that you can travel with as you leave this morning. So it's something that we can consider together as we have supper. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus, that though he was rich, just import some of the things that we've considered this morning. Though he was in the form of God, though he was fully God, there was never a time when he was not, though he's very God of very God, yet for your sake, he became poor. He did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped. He emptied himself and made himself nothing by becoming a servant, by becoming a human, and by being obedient even unto death. He made himself poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. Man, that's good medicine right there. Let's pray together. God, we are so rich. We're so rich as we consider the showers of blessings that we are participating in on the receiving end of by your grace and mercy, participating in in other people's lives. God, we enjoy together that that richness is because of the poverty of Christ. I enjoy that there aren't a lot of handy illustrations of someone who has absolute power and doesn't exercise power to protect their own self-interests. 
And then in that big vacuum, in that void of example, we can immediately make a beeline to what, what you have done for us in Christ. For very God of very God made himself nothing so that we might be rich. And Lord, I'm thankful too that as we think about it, and there are many examples of that, that we get glimpses of that as we look around us and we see others considering people forgotten, in the margins, on the edges, more important than themselves. I'm thankful for those glimpses this time of year. And Lord, I'm thankful that this sort of mindset that we can have of this one mind between ourselves, this mind of Christ, that it travels into January and it travels into May and 2014 and 2020. I'm so thankful that you have given us the opportunity and the privilege and the wonder and the marvel of being salty and bright and aromatic in our context, among ourselves and to a community that needs to see what the condescension looks like. God, you are so faithful in what you've done among us. So excited and anticipating what you have yet to do. We love you, Lord. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's enjoy together a king that made himself nothing. A king who is rich, made himself poor, so that we might be rich. Let's take and eat. Let's take and drink. Just thinking, um, preaching has a cer- certain amount of, um, I don't know what, how to put it. Uh, Jeff Simmons said something to me a few years ago. He said, you know, there's something intoxicating about having a room full of people listening to you, your every word. And there is something in preaching that is very, um, that sort of scratches an itch in somebody. And I think Greg Fields and I have, have talked about this before, um, that our professions are likely a product of some things that, in some ways, are some things that we experience as a kid, the kind of thing that you want to do. And I, as a kid, overweight kid that stuttered, I wanted to be heard. <laughs> and there's something here, this is a place for that to happen, you know. And I realized as I was a kid listening to a preacher, I, when I was a kid, I had times where I thought, oh, man, I don't think I might want to do that. I think I want to do that. And, you know, overweight kid that's sitting there stutter, it's kind of a funny thought, but I wanted to be heard. And that's who I wanted to be. But I need to tell you this. As I stand here in year 10 of doing this, I don't emulate John Piper. I don't want to emulate John Piper. I don't want to, I don't model myself after Alistair Begg. People I want to emulate are guys like um, Jeff Wade, a guy that'll sit out and play hoops for four hours with his kids because he considers others more important than himself. A guy like Ken Rodden would spend the night. (laughs) Spend the night at the Salvation Army tending to homeless dudes. And then when he gets home, I got to get my chainsaw cranked so I can go out there and cut the limbs out of Ben McGraw's driveway. Scott Feasel. 
man, surrounded beautiful examples of the servanthood of Christ. That's who I emulate, or that's who I want to. That's I want. That's the kind of man I want to be, and that's the kind of people I want us to be. And we are. This sermon, I hope, is as much affirming as it is equipping. What remarkable, remarkable people you are. What a shocking God we have. Very God of very God that would empty himself and make himself nothing. For the likes of us, man, that is good news. That's a good king. Y'all stand and I'll dismiss you. I have Aaron Adele pass me a note. It's kind of a funny transition from that deep thought to this, but it's a funny little scribbled note. Uh, just reminding about the bake sale next week. Uh, bake sale, it sounds like kind of a small thing, but it is next week, and it, it they are important because our youth are raising money for youth camp, which can end up being pretty expensive for a family, especially if you might have one or two of them. So um, y'all bring some funds next week for that, that bake sale and plan. I think there'll be even some larger items that you can take home, you know, that your family can gnaw on that week. So let's pray. God, I'm thankful for this sweet, sweet, sweet picture you've given us this morning. I pray that it tempers us this week and that we will have the mind of Christ as we go about not just the holidays, not just this week. Lord, I pray for a sustained mind of Christ on into January and on into April when things are busy when people have so much to do on into the summer when we're trying to figure out our summer plans and it's so easy to focus on ourselves. I pray it'll carry over into 2014 and just continue to be what's so beautiful right now and that you'll be glorified through it as the church is condescending because of God condescended. We love you so much, Lord. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Y'all have a great week.